Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Deer podcast. Nick and the Doctor here with you on the last day of November. Amazing. Man, where in the heck did it go? I was just looking at pictures the other day from doing property work all the way back in the spring, and now all of a sudden, here we are, staring November in the face. Hey, today's guest is going to be Michael Hunsucker from Heartland Bowhunter. I'd love to get Mike on anytime, but especially after he has killed what he self-describes as the, the buck of his lifetime so far. It's the amazing story of a buck that he called Floppy, and obviously Mike is the host of uh, the co-host of Heartland Bowhunter, one of the best hunting shows out there, period. Any any animal they're pursuing, this is one of the best shows, period. So uh, great to have uh, Michael on to come in to tell his story. We have some hunting stories of our own to tell, uh, but I think we'll hold off on the details of those since this is also an Ask NDA Anything episode. And we also have to bring you, of course, the B-Team report. So... Joining us now is a man that is currently inviting any new bucks to his property being chased in the New York gun season, the doctor, Mr. Mike Groman. Yeah, that's exactly right. Gun season has started and bow season has ended in, it was a little bit too short for me and a little bit, I'm not going to say short and sweet, but it was short and bitter. How about that? I was reflecting on how fast these seasons go. Actually, if you go on my social media, you'll see I posted a couple of things because I've really been reflecting on just how fast it goes. And we wait all this time for this one little window of, of opportunity. And obviously there are a lot of ways to make deer hunting or whatever it is you do a year long pursuit. And we do that, but the part of it, the, the hunting part of it and the time on stand, you're one day you're out there saying, ah, oh, it's the early season. It's, you know, we've got plenty of time. The next minute, you got snow on the ground and everything's changed and you're looking toward staring at a winter season or even packing your gear up. It's just amazing, isn't it? Well, it is, but that really happened. I, I mean, here in New York, it went from 70 degrees and literally, I think nine days later, I had 19 at the house this morning. So, I mean, it was a really tough season. There was a lot of people that were struggling looking at the social media thing, but, but bucks were still falling because as we've talked about, the deer still have to do what they have to do. But um, for me, I just was still trying to get this, this place livable. And the whole time that I was not in the woods and doing, you know, work around the house and, you know, garage and barn and stuff like that, I was still thinking it's going to be better next year. And that's kind of what kept me going that just get it done. You know, next year's another year. You'll have the time. You'll have, you can scout. You can run and do more. You know, hunting on public ground like you wanted to. But you know, there's still a lot of days of hunting left. It's just we. I prefer and I enjoy having a bow in my hand with it. That's all. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. A lot of people listening are nodding their head there while you're talking. They get it too, and so it's a lot to balance for that small window. Hey, our show sponsor today is Onyx Hunt. It is the number one hunting GPS app in the world. Loaded with great features from property boundaries and ownership information to being able to add waypoints, tracks, etc. I got a confession to make, Mike. I actually use my OnX. Like if I see a neighbor up the street and I can't remember, I'm like, man, what is that guy's name? <laughs> I, go, I go to my OnX maps and I see who owns the house and, uh, I, and I use it for that. So there is no limit uh, to what you can do with OnX maps. And so, you know, if the neighbors are listening, um, uh, you might be that person. So I apologize. But uh Hey, I want to point out, though, one particular feature that I've had the fortune of using a couple times here in the last week or so, and that is the tracking feature. And so 
uh, and it doesn't matter, by the way, if you have cell service or not, especially if, if all you have to do is download the local map for the area you're hunting. And so I use the tracking feature both in Pennsylvania and Delaware, where I pick up the blood trail, I turn that tracker on, it's, it's monitoring my every step. It also does things like tell you how long you've been tracking. It also shows you the length of the track, which is really cool. So that's the one function I want to point out to you that's a good one among many others. So anyway, uh, our friends at Onyx Maps, you can see them at onxmaps.com and learn more. So thank you to our friends at Onyx. I also want you to look out for our next newsletter. It is going to be loaded with uh, special holiday season sales from our partners. It is the season and many of us probably have people on our list that are outdoors folks. Uh, so anyway, yeah, check that out. Uh, we put that together from our many uh, outdoors industry related partners and uh, get some good deals there. So check that out. All right, Mike, this is an Ask NDA Anything. And I know you're sitting there wondering, because I don't always share them with you in advance. You're sitting there wondering, did people answer the call? Did they send us questions? Are you wondering that? I am wondering that. Well, I have good news to report. We got some questions and we got a couple really good ones. And so we have the, we have the best listeners. We have I mean, the good best job, listener. everybody. You know what? I'm in such a good mood because these questions got submitted. I darn, I darn uh, well may give away two hats today. Okay, here we go. I mean, it's the season of giving, right? So I'm feeling it. All right. Let's go ahead and start with this first one. This first one comes from Jeremy, Jeremy in Iowa. Jeremy, appreciate you listening to the show and submitting your question. And so this is a good one. He said, my question derives from a unique situation that happened to me on my last hunt here in Iowa. I located a bedded buck and decided to get down from my stand and do a stalk on him. Long story short, I got to within 10 to 12 yards. Man, good on you. <laughs> Uh, I can't walk that far without falling down myself, but uh, that's a good stock. The buck got up and slowly walked broadside to offer a shot. The wind was right, and he didn't know I was there. I was worried if I tried to stop him, he'd spook and take off. I took the shot, but ended up in the paunch. No blood trail, and after searching for more the next day, I lost the deer. I want to get your thoughts on shooting a deer while walking. In a situation like this, would you still try to stop the deer before a shot? Would you avoid the shot altogether? Looking for some learning points to take to the woods in the event this is uh, this were to happen again. Appreciate all you guys do at NDA. Thank you, Jeremy. We appreciate that too, and we appreciate the good question. We'll let you go first on this one, Mike. What do you think? I think a lot about this one. Uh, this is a great question. So first and foremost, Jeremy, you did everything right. First of all, to be able to get that close to a buck on the ground, stalking it, good on you excellent job with that. But I agree. I would not have stopped that deer. And the reason being is because that deer had been laying there all day, smelling the, you know, wind checking, smelling, listening, and nothing in regards to his life seemed out of place. And the way that I want you to think about this would be no different than if you were in your kitchen, you know, getting a drink of water or, or like even in your bedroom, let's just go right there. So you're in your bedroom and then you're getting out of bed to go to the restroom. You know what I mean? You're waking up for the day. And all of a sudden, someone behind you says, hey, you're going to start. It's going to start you. And you're going to be startled. And the deer would have been the exact same way. And you might not have gotten that shot at all. So um, shooting that deer walking is, is without stopping it would be what I would have done. 
The only other tip I can give you though, is that, you know, shooting a walking deer and Nick, you and I have, we've texted this on stand because there was a situation where I was really tight in on this deer and it was dead silent. And I said to you, I, cause historically I stopped deer, but this situation, it just felt like to me, I shouldn't stop the deer because it was so quiet and I didn't want them to actually alert. And so you should practice water shooting at moving targets. And if you can uh, possibly do that and whether that be, you know, setting up a deer target on a, on a little utility cart and having a friend in a, from a safe distance, pull it with a rope, uh, to actually simulate you moving, but to be able to actually track that deer and shoot with a bow is a little bit different than a rifle. And so you have to kind of have that skill set. Um, I don't recommend it very often, but at that distance that, you know, like less than 10, 10 yards or less, um, I think that that would have definitely been something that uh, would have slightly improved your odds of actually getting the deer. And then the last thing is, um, you know, um, I appreciate the fact that you did follow through and you tried to actually find the deer uh, in that situation. Maybe calling in a tracking dog might have been another option for me to think about uh, because dogs uh, are amazing in regards to being able to do that job, especially with deer that are hit uh, through the gut. Yeah, hard for me to add a whole lot to that. I mean, I, I certainly will shoot deer that are walking, and I think the big key is you have to keep that bow moving along with the animal uh, because otherwise that will happen. You'll you'll kind of stop and hold for the shot, and the deer keeps moving, and you don't hit where you think you're aiming. And especially at that range, if that deer's right on top of you, uh, you make a noise at that range, he's probably just going to run off. The only other thing I would add, though, is anytime, and this is for anybody listening, you have that stomach shot stomach contents on your arrow um to me that's the signal just to get out of there because more than likely almost in all cases that deer is going to go to its first bed and never get out of it or maybe its second bed but it's not going to go far and a lot of times they don't bleed well or sometimes not at all but that's the best approach and i know someone's listening and they're going to say well what about coyotes and what about this and what about that well you're never going to have to worry about that if you keep jumping a stomach hit deer because uh, they will go a long way if you keep pushing them and you keep that adrenaline going, but they get sick quickly, they'll lay down. And if you just leave them alone, maybe, and I'm talking even if it means 12 hours later, uh, that's what you have to do. That's your best chance to recover that animal. And they are a, a deer shot through the stomach is a dead deer, I mean, plain and simple. So um, at any rate, that would be the only thing I would say is don't don't try to track a stomach hit deer. Unless, you know, also there are other situations, there are always variables. Uh, I just shot one in Delaware here uh, recently that had stomach contents on the arrow, but because I'm filming the hunt and all that, I saw my impact was perfect. And what happened was it just sort of exited there. And so every situation is different. You have to read it. But if you're clearly just through the stomach, uh, let them go and you'll find them. You'll find them uh, probably in that first bed that they lay in. So great question, Jeremy. You get a hat. Send us your address. Appreciate it. And the one thing I do want to say, I mean, I'm glad that Jeremy got the hat as well, because that took a lot of courage to be able to uh, put yourself out there. But I think putting yourself out there to a make, you know, prove that he wants to learn, he wants to do better, good for him, but to also um, have other people realize that, you know, bad things happen and, and let's try and minimize that. So good job, Jeremy. I appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. This is another good question. This question comes from Mike and he is in Michigan. Three mics on this show today. I know. It's lucky. It's a lot. Good things come in threes. That's what they say. 
Uh, <laughs> he says, uh, I'm a relatively new deer hunter, having harvested my first deer here in Michigan last year. Congratulations, Mike. Uh, I really enjoyed having venison to feed my family over the last year, and I'd like to have that opportunity again. I haven't had any luck yet this year. Uh, he says his wife and he are both teachers, and they have a three-year-old daughter, so time in the woods is limited. Yes, totally get it. Uh, but I'm not ready to give up. As the rut rats wraps up and we transition to late season, uh, I have read and heard that hunting the food is a successful strategy later in the year. This makes sense if you're someone that has private property with food plots or agricultural food sources. Uh, but what about those? Uh, excuse me. What about those who do not have that scenario? I was wondering what types of specific food sources might be useful to identify and target in the timber on public land in the Midwest during the later parts of the season, knowing specific species and types of browse, cover, mast, et cetera, that deer prefer in this area. Seems like it would be beneficial. Any information would be greatly appreciated. He says, I love the podcast. It's really helpful for those of us who are newer to the game. Keep up the good work. I, and all this time, Mike, I thought we were just teaching people how to screw up. Maybe we're teaching them how not to screw up. Exactly. That's right. Just, and especially the fact that Mike is a teacher, you know, uh, knowing what someone does wrong can help many, many more people figure out ways to do it right. So we'll just, we'll go with that. Yep. We got two mics that are teachers on the show too. This is a this is a, a coffee and deer first. All right, I'm going to go first on this one. I emailed Mike back also right away because he may be hunting right now and not have time to wait for the podcast to come out. So, uh, food is always good to, to hunt over if you have a hot food source any time of year, but particularly in the winter. So you're right. And in some ways, you answered your own question. If I know what the preferred food is, I have a chance to be on deer, and that's true. Uh, late season, and I've got a lot of experience hunting in the late season, as does the doctor. It's one of our favorite times to be out. Scouting is important anytime, but it is never so important as it is in the late season. And especially on a public land scenario where the deer are there, but they've been hunted, they're pressured. You need to get out there, boots on the ground, and find out where these deer are and find out what they're eating. And so even if you might suspect it's a certain type of shrub or bush, the only way to find out for sure is get out there and see. It might be something you totally don't expect. And so uh, one of the things I mentioned in the email back to Mike, and I'll reiterate here, is often overlooked red oak acorns. And so typically they're overlooked by the deer heading into fall because they want the whites. But they will go back and start browsing on those red oaks, uh, the red oak acorns, later in the year. It's not that they don't like them. It's just they're not quite as good as the whites, right? So you don't order pizza from the place you kind of like. You order pizza, pizza from the place you like the best. And if you can't get that, then you start going to the other stuff. And so that's sort of the same thing here with deer. And so if you can find some red oak acorns, that's kind of what can be a gold mine in those big wood situations. But also, and this is definitely an overlooked idea, and that is just browse. Where are deer browsing? Because that's the majority of their diet at this point is browse. They don't have to eat as much. The quality of their diet goes down. It's amazing how long a deer can go without eating at all. But when they are eating, it's typically going to be a browse. So it's something they can reach. It's going to be something woody. It's going to be, if, if you could find it, by the way, a, a recently fallen tree could be a gold mine. Even a fallen branch with some of the buds that a deer can get to are really good. And so the only way to find those, though, is to get out there, get boots on the ground, find out where the deer are eating. Maybe you have some snow, you can get on some tracks and then get that wind in your face 
uh, because deer are hypersensitive to scent anyway, but never more so than this time of year. And I think that's going to give you your best chance, and I hope that works out for you. Mike? Good answer. I like the way they answered that. I do have a couple other things. It's just more uh, strategic to help the hopefully the success rate go up a little bit is uh, first and foremost, if at all possible, deer tend to bed a little bit closer to where they're feeding in late season. They're trying to conserve as much energy as possible. So your entrance and exit are going to have to be a lot more meticulous. Uh, be very uh, concerned with the way the wind is blowing. Uh, your noise, you know, being very quiet as well. As Nick said, the snow on the ground, like, you know, two days after a, a snowfall, go out and just commit to, I'm going to, I might have to blow this area up, but the deer will come back to the food, especially on public ground. They're used to people coming through and blowing it out. So um, while there's fresh snow after like one or two days, what's their pattern? And as you're looking at that, where can you set up? Where's the weak spot? Where's the chink in the armor? Where can you get to? Where's your tree for this wind? Where's your tree for that wind? Or if you're going to be hunting on the ground, where is a, you know, a good amount of cover that you can hide in? Um, especially in Michigan, as we get further north, kind of like with me here in New York, uh, thermal cover is important. Uh, so you might want to uh, kind of gravitate toward those areas. That might be where they're trying to bed and then uh, catch them exiting out. But it usually, unless there's some type of a, a weather event or a situation that pushes them to move sooner, but it's going to be last light. So I, I get in there as soon as I can without alerting the deer, but I don't do a, Hey, I'm on stand at one o'clock in late season and then have to try and muscle through that cold weather. Cause by the time they actually show up, I'm cold, I'm stiff, I'm not focused. So I try and show up with enough time to keep myself warm, but not alert the deer and, and actually wind up bumping them. So those are some strategy things that I hope might help you uh, be successful when you're actually hunting in the late season. Yep. Great additions there, Mike. I appreciate that. And hey, you never know too. I've seen some of my better bucks in the winter season. I've had opportunities and, uh, you know, as recently as last year, missed a, <laughs> why do I keep torturing myself with these stories? <laughs> anyway, I missed a heck of a buck in Delaware. I shot right underneath him, probably because I was surprised that I saw him coming in. But anyway, uh, yeah, don't, don't, uh, forget that there's an opportunity potentially to buck out there too. So good luck. Thank you folks for submitting those coffee and deer questions. And let's start getting them in already for, for the next uh, episode. It'll be two episodes from now. We answer these again. And Mike, you get a hat too. Uh, I'd love to send you one. So go ahead and send me your address. All right, let's bring the third Mike into the show. Michael Hunsucker from Heartland. Bow Hunter is going to tell us about Floppy. Michael Hunsucker joins us today. He's the co-host of Heartland Bowhunter. He's a producer as well. We had his other co-host, Mr. Sean Luchtel, on earlier uh, in the year. So now we've got both of you on the show. That's great. Uh, Mike, is he's also, I consider, a smart businessman in this business. I don't know uh, if you ever get told that, but I do pay attention to how you all run your business, and I am impressed. And you guys do a lot of things really well, which I think is one of the reasons Heartland Bowhunter has done so well. And so, uh, but we don't have you here to talk business today. Uh, you're also an outstanding hunter. You love chasing deer. And uh, we're going to talk about one you've had a deep history with. And you had a big day on Friday. 
November 18th, you met up with a deer named Floppy. So I'm going to just uh, turn it over to you to introduce yourself real quick, Mike, and we'll go from there. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. It's always good to catch up and, and talk deer. And seems like everybody wants to talk deer, not not business side of things typically. So <laughs> to your point, yeah, I usually am talking deer hunting. Um, but no, I mean, I, I uh, you know, Sean and I go way back from high school. Uh, best friends grew up just filming each other for fun and kind of saw an opportunity to do something different in the hunting industry. Um, we were in college and really just kind of winging it. And um, that was kind of the the cool part about it is that we weren't influenced by anybody else's decision making. We just did what we wanted to do and was really well received. And here we are 15 years later, still doing it. Um, just extremely blessed to be in the position that we're in, to be able to do what we love for a living and work in such a great industry. And, you know, the, the hunting side of things is awesome. And I get that a lot. Oh yeah. You hunt for a living. That's great. And I don't hunt for a living, unfortunately. Um, but I, I actually prefer it that way. I mean, I, I love the business side of things. I love the relationship side of things. I just love the industry in general. And so it allows me to, you know, run a business inside of an industry that I'm extremely passionate about and also affords me a lot of time to hunt. I'm glad that you describe it that way. And that's why I brought up the business part, because obviously um, being around this industry, like we've both been for quite a while now, uh, we know that any anybody can have a, you know, a quote show at this point, if they want to buy the airtime, you know, like the doctor and I, we could start a show tomorrow if we wanted to. Uh, but yeah, YouTube there, man, just hop on there. Yeah, but <laughs> there's they, no barrier to entry. There's no barrier to entry, and that's good and bad, right? It's good because if somebody really does have a dream, like you and Sean did, you can. It's one way to live it out. But the reality is, not everybody really does it well, and not everybody sticks around long. And I have been very impressed. You know, it's one thing to have the the show that you all do and, and it's outstanding, but to the business behind it, I've always been very impressed with. So that's why I did want to mention it because I think it is important to know. And by the way, folks, you don't, you can't also just be good at business. You have to be good at getting around decent deer that people want to see you shoot. And so <laughs> this is just the latest example, Mike. I always, when I always think of you and deer that stand out over your career, I always think of Chubbs because I love the name of that deer and you had some history with him and you yeah. were able to connect on him, but now we have Floppy. And this deer, if I understood your Instagram post correctly, you have him as, as a seven-year-old? Yeah, I, I kind of guesstimated him as seven years old. Um, it's a property that I've hunted for uh, the past four years. And so I've had him for four years. And, and when I got the property, I assumed he was a four-year-old deer um, at that time. So he was definitely mature then. He definitely wasn't three. So he's, he, I'm guessing him at least seven, could be older. Um, I will send the teeth off to get, to get aged. Um, I, I, I think, you know, that's interesting to me and you guys know all about the, the aging process, but, you know, having history and trail camera, uh, pictures is, is huge on aging a deer, obviously. But then when you don't have like this in this situation, I don't have anything prior. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, how it comes back. Yep. That's always the best way to do it under a microscope. And so why don't we just start there? So four years ago, you ended up, you, you got on this. Uh, new property and this is when's the first time you remember getting an image or seeing this deer and let's just sort of take it from there on the history yeah so no i'm glad you kind of brought up chubbs because um that that deer i mean that deer has been my most meaningful deer that i've ever shot before and from a score standpoint i don't even know if i ever put a tape to him i mean he scores 140 maybe 100 upper 30s like not a big scoring deer but for guys like you and i that do it enough to where we 
you know, start to build history with these deer and we start to um, establish, you know, their core area and start to, you know, really hone in on these deer and they, they continue to win and beat us at our, at our, at our own game. <laughs> you know, those are the deer that we have the most respect for and admiration for. And so when I shot floppy and my, you know, it's just funny because all my friends and family know about floppy and, you know, the saga always is like, Oh yeah. And everybody tells me like, my money's on you. Like uh, you're going to get them. You're going to get them. And they've been saying that for three years. <laughs> so <laughs> when it finally came all together though, I told my wife, I said, man, this deer means more to me than any other deer that I've ever shot. And you know, isn't, I mean, he, he is big deer, you know, score wise too, but not the biggest I've ever killed, but just so, so meaningful. But so rewind time. Yeah. My father-in-law picks up this new, new property and, um, he's a big cattle guy. So it was, uh, it was part pasture, part, uh, tillable, and then a little bit of timber. And he immediately switches the tillable over into pasture, gets some more cows, wow. much to my dismay. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, but he's, you know, his farm, he's a, he's a, a hobby farmer and it's kind of his passion. He's a, he's a builder developer, you know, by day, but really loves the, the cattle thing on the side. So Anyway, started running cameras, and it's an area that is not known for really big deer. Uh, it's highly pressured, a lot of hunters in the area. And um, so I just, you know, started running cameras just to kind of see what would show up. And actually, the first year that he got it, I, I ran cameras in the summer, and that was it. And so it was the next year that I actually picked up Chubbs or uh, <laughs> Floppy for the first time on camera. And the first thing I noticed was his ears, just both of them broken or whatever the case may be. I still haven't skinned them off the skull yet to actually determine, you know, what exactly is going on there, but there's no cartilage in the ears. They're just loose floppy wow. and they hang down. And, uh, so that was obviously unique in itself. And so that's when he got the name floppy. And, um, I didn't actually, you know, ever have any encounters with him that first year. I didn't hunt the farm a whole lot that first year. Um, and then the next year he showed back up and made a really good jump. Um, interesting deer over the years, as far as like his rack, he was a clean eight. You know, when I first got pictures of him, heavy, clean eight, uh, pretty symmetrical. The next year, he turned into, a, I think, a 10. But one of his sides, his right side, was like way wider. You know, went way further out than his left side. And uh, was pretty crazy unique. And so that year, literally, you had pictures of him. He kind of, he was one of those deer that summered on a different piece of property. And so he would show up right before season, usually late summer. And uh, when he showed up that year, I was like, man, like, he's a good deer. Like, we're going to put some, some focus on this deer. We um, we had hung the stand right across this creek in this, and built this little food plot area for him specifically. Access, this is the best part of the whole story, is like, I set this up for access. Like, sneaky access. You come through the cattle pasture, down a tree row. You drop in the creek and come down the creek and pop up into the stand. Like, literally, the stand is 10 yards off the creek. It's like one of the sneak, it is the sneakiest setups that I have. And, uh, or so I thought, obviously. <laughs> um, and so opening day of season that, that year, he's, uh, I'm guessing him at uh, five, five that year. We get in the stand plenty early, you know, with filming and just the first set of the year, all the kinks, we get in really early. And I, I literally climbed to the tree. I look out and he's in the food plot right in front of us and he's eating acorns. And he's coming out into the plot. I'm like, oh my gosh. And the camera is on the bot at the bottom of the tree. Oh no. And so I grab the rope and I start slowly <laughs> pulling the camera up as he's feeding in this food plot. I hand it to Chandler. He starts switching lenses, doing all that stuff. I grab my bow, knock my arrow, put on release. By the time we get all this done, he's at like 55, 60 quartered hard away. 
and just keep continues to feed away. And uh, I was like, ah, opening day, no big deal. You know, we'll get him. Well, very, very many more encounters later that year. I mean, we saw him and he just eluded us. He was out of bow range. He, you know, got downwind or just didn't show up, period. Um, and so, so many, so many close calls that year. And then that kind of goes into the following year. Oh, actually, no. So very interesting. Uh, uh, that later that year, he drops his sheds early, hmm. um, which obviously is indicative of, of some sort of injury. Probably, I want to say it was December eighteenth, and dropped his sheds early, and literally is daylighting right in front of my stand oh, every man. day, every day without sheds. And I was like, you know what? I was like, let's go find the sheds. If we find the sheds, I'm shooting them. I'm shooting them without the without the <laughs> antler. I'm using a doe tag on them. I love it. I love it. And I'm and I'm I'm doing it. Like I, I don't care. And so we went and looked. Couldn't find the sheds. So. That was kind of the end of the end of the story on the 2020 season, but um, so kind of rolling into 20 the 2021 season, um, really you know anticipated him coming back. He showed up again, same same kind of time frame, and this past year was unbelievably regular. The most I I, I can't remember how I, I explained it to to the guys, but basically like the most irregular daylight walking buck i've ever had on camera like daylight non-stop but no sort of pattern just random mm. 11 o'clock in the middle of the day one o'clock in the afternoon i think a lot of it was you know this setup and this this area was really close tight to his bedroom um and so a lot of it would maybe be like okay the wind switched midday he got up went and checked a different bed or set you know moved to a different bed regardless i mean I wish you, I could show you this calendar I made. I, I made a, a handwritten calendar that showed <laughs> every day that he daylighted, when he daylighted, what direction he came from, and, and what the wind was. Because I was, I was, uh, you know, hell bent on the fact that he was, you know, he's always using the wind in his favor, right? I mean, like, you know, a lot of deer, most deer do. They, they, they survive off their nose. But this deer. I don't know if it had to do with the fact that his ears were damaged. His hearing wasn't as great as it was, but his other senses seemed to be heightened. And, um, you know, when he was bedding in this spot and was daylighting in this plot, it seemed to be like a certain wind direction. I was just trying to put any sort of pattern together. And I just really couldn't, um, hunted him and hunted him and hunted him and hunted him. Only saw him one time last year. That's crazy. Um, middle of the rut and happened to be, in the stand where he on the on the complete other side of the farm of where we hunted that morning well he daylighted where we hunted that morning and i'm like you gotta be kidding me we picked the wrong stand well he made his way all the way across the farm and we actually saw him that night on a doe chasing the doe but that was it only saw him one time and i can't you know i i haven't uh gone back and dug through all the trail cam photos yet but like i I can't wait to see how many days during deer season he daylighted last year it's just unbelievable yeah and And for me to only lay his eyes on him one time it's just like wait a minute like what's going on here that's what I was thinking. I know the doctor's going to want to weigh in because you start saying things like charts and graphs and stuff. So you're right in his you're right in his wheelhouse with that. But uh, uh, I'm a deer nerd, man. I'm a deer nerd. <laughs> I, I should probably just get out of the way on this interview. But uh, before I let him in, I just wanted to mention that was one of the things that stood out to me in your post was that this was a daytime walking deer, which I've seen. As a matter of fact, one I was chasing this year was the same way. Lots of daylight. I'm filming him in broad daylight. He's never in bow range, but it's like they hide in plain sight. Sometimes it doesn't matter if they're visible. Uh, you can't get to them necessarily. It sounds like that's what you were facing here. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I had a pretty good idea of where he liked to bed, and it was up on a ridge, um, you know, close to that stand. And so, you know, I, I definitely had the possibility, you know, in my mind of like, okay, maybe he's seen us come in in the afternoons, but what about the morning? Like, that doesn't explain the mornings. We're getting in the mornings pitch black. It's cattle pasture. There's no ag. Like, the deer leave the farm to go feed in the evenings. They don't come back a lot of times till 9, 10. It's super late morning deer movement. So like the fact that the fact that he didn't just slip up one of those days, um, I, I just don't know. I, I can't explain it. I can't believe it. Um, I don't know. It, it almost, you know, I, I, I would have loved to have a GPS collar on this deer. I would have loved to know where he was. I would have loved to know how many times like he smelled us or caught our wind when we never even saw him. Um, but I guarantee you it was quite a, quite a few times. Well, well, that's crazy. I mean, you, you did talk about, putting together your calendar there. And it's, it's really peculiar how these deer make us try and make sense of their movements. And I don't know if it, that just goes to kind of like, we use it to empower ourselves to make us feel like we're doing something active to try and actually put a tag on these deer. But in the past has, has any other deer forced you to, use the techniques that you've used on this deer to try and, you know, to try and hang a tag on them. Like, you know, has any deer pushed you to the limit like this one has? Yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah, this deer definitely had me really racking my brain and trying to make sense of something, <laughs> but only because I have had success in the past of really dialing in on a deer and seeing what areas he likes to prefer based on what wind it, the wind is in the morning when he goes to bed. Um, you know, but this deer, yeah, you just couldn't quite make sense of anything. It, it seemed like he never really made any sort of decision the same twice and, and, and never had a lot of reason behind it. Yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. I mean, I have a, I have a buck right now that's really doing the same thing. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll hunt one side of the property thinking that I'm in a safe location for the wind and he shows up on the other side and the winds, you know, it's always in his favor. And the other day on my social media account, when I decided, okay, this is my last day that I'm going to bow hunt, I walk out and he was, what was it, Nick, like nine minutes behind me, yeah. like on this, on the exact same trail, walk you know, out, just smelling, yeah. yeah, just smelling my footprints in the snow, you know, I mean, he, and there was no way that he was monitoring me because I really came in from a certain way. He came in from a different way, but he, we were both leaving the woods the same way that night. So yeah, he really has worked me over, but he's taught me a lot though. And I think he's made me better for it, even though I haven't hung a tag on him yet. Yeah, hey, for sure. I've been bow hunting a long time and I'm still to this day <laughs> learning every day. Sometimes it's like, are they, are we hunting them? Or are they hunting us? <laughs> well, speaking of bow hunting a long time, and I do want to add extra emphasis. You talked about it being a really good access point and that's critical. I think that's so often overlooked by, by people trying to get close to a deer, but uh, you shot this deer with a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you shot this deer with a bow during gun season, which I'm not surprised by because I remember, you might even remember this years ago, I asked you, I think, I don't even know where we were, but I said, do you ever hunt with a gun? And you just looked at me like I had two heads and you were like, dude, it's Heartland Bow Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I know the answer to that, but that's also impressive because you got guns banging around all over the place. And you also pointed out that this deer, you got a gun season that really overlaps with the rut. And a lot of people were hunting guns around there. And yet this deer survived all that. 
Yeah, man. He survived so many rifle seasons. And um, I was in a really big, really tough predicament, honestly. Um, this year, he really kind of put me through the ringer as far as didn't show up uh, like he normally does. So I was like sitting on the wayside, like waiting for him to show up late summer. Didn't show up. September 15th rolls around. Doesn't show up. And I'm like, did he die? What What happened? So I wrote it off. I just was like, man, I was holding out for him. Right. And wrote it off. Um, October. He, let's see. So I start hunting this deer at uh, my home farm and really got emotionally invested in this pursuit with this deer playing cat and mouse. I think floppy shows up finally, like late October or no, it was early October, like third, third or second week of October, probably. Um, basically right when I'm getting like real close with this other buck and doesn't give me any inclination of that. He's even huntable, you know, a couple pictures in the middle of the night. That's about it. Finally catch up with this deer on my home farm, like October 17th or I can't even remember what the date was. And the next day floppy daylights. Oh, and so in Missouri, we can kill two bucks in Missouri, but you can only kill one before gun season. So he proceeds to daylight, daylight, daylight to the point of, I tell my wife, I'm like, honey, like we're going to go hunt that deer. Like she, and she's like, I'm not shooting floppy. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, she's like, you have way too much, you know, going on. I said, I know, but I just, you know, the odds of him getting killed during gun season by somebody else are so high, even though he survived so many gun seasons, I'm just, I'm just, just couldn't even hardly sleep at night. I was just so tore up about it. So, um, we ended up hunting him a couple of times late October, my wife and I, um, but then gun season rolled around and I was, like I said, I was kind of in a big predicament of like, what do I do here? Do I, do I just lay off and, you know, maybe hunt some fringes or just not hunt at all and, and let everybody hunt pressure and let him do his thing and just survive gun season and then come in and bow hunt. Um, or do I just press hard press him and just try to get him killed? And I, I can be, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I, I'm typically a pretty cautious, uh, bow hunter, especially when it comes to deer like this, they're just so smart and they've just known so much, but, in this instance, I was like, you know what? Like, it's the rut. Like, even if other people, other properties are pressuring him and, you know, even if he gets bumped or whatever, like, he could still just find a hot dough and be gone and be gone forever. I said, so this, like, I'm just going to take this window of opportunity and, and go for it. Um, and and the, the, I guess on top of all that, the, one of the big factors was we had a bunch of north winds coming. The spot that I set up specifically to kill him was a south wind spot. Um, the farm hunts very, very difficult for North wind access is, is less than ideal. And so this is amazing. And you guys will get a kick out of this, but so I've just, just over the years, based on like my intrusion and his movement, I've just understood that, that he's a deer and I've seen this so many times you see it. And I know you've hunted a lot of North Dakota, Nick, and like, this is where I've, where, where you really see it, but like these big mature deer, they deal with this crap all their whole lives. Like yeah. they know humans. And they know when they can tolerate it and they know when not to. And to the North Dakota thing, like pheasant hunting in the marshes, like, you know, you go by these cattail sloughs and like that big buck may not even get up. And if he does, usually if he does, you're about to step on him. Like, yep. you know, he, he knows like if I just sit tight, I'm good. If I jump up and run off, I'm going to get shot probably. And so, so this buck, I, I just kind of, I, I had it in my head, like that was kind of his mentality. And so a uh, week before gun season, I said, all right, we got all these North winds. I need to hang a north wind stand. I need to get aggressive. I know exactly where he's bedding, and I know I could hang a stand there and kill him, but I didn't want to blow him out of his bed. Mm -hmm. So I said, let's start with, with with hunting a little bit off that with a north wind, you know, somewhere we can kill him, and let's let's do that. So I drive. I decide 
I'm going to drive in on the, on the gator. Um, obviously loud, intrusive, but not walking in, you know, you can obviously do a lot more damage walking in and bumping them. So I drive the farm road around on the gator and I had made the decision like, all right, like I think I, if we're going to go in there, if I'm going to make the whole track on the gator, I'm going to uh, blow the road off all the leaves with a leaf blower. I forgot in the heat of the moment, all my stuff, you know, packing everything. I forgot my freaking leaf blower. Oh no! And so I hang the stand. I'm like, whatever, hang the stand, um, get it up, literally drive out. He daylights that evening down in the bottom plot. So away from the intrusion, um, away from the noise that we were making. Um, and so he daylights that night down there and, and my thoughts is just like, okay, yeah, he knew we were in there making, making noise. He knew, all right, I'm going to, you know, exit this way and, you know, work off this way tonight. Um, which is typical of what his movement would be in the evenings anyways. But so I come in and hunt that stand the next day and have an encounter with him that morning. He comes off the ridge to our West, um, and skirts us about a hundred yards. I decided he, I, I wasn't sure actually if he was completely deaf or not. Uh, I knew that he was some sort of hearing impaired because of past encounters we'd had, but I hit him with the grunt tube. I was hesitant to call, I'm, I'm hesitant to call the super wise deer, especially in the neighborhood where they get called to. There's guys on every fence line banging rattle bags and stuff. Um, and so I was hesitant to call, but once I realized, okay, he's not coming to bow range, I hit him with the grunt and he stopped and heard it. And he looked and he looked and he just kind of continued on. And so I grabbed the rattling antlers and did just a light kind of sparring kind of rattle. He looked, didn't care. And I was just like, okay, I don't think I'll call to this deer anymore. Like I just, <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. And so hunted all day that day. Didn't see him that evening. Um, walking in that morning wasn't bad through the leaves. We had a little bit of rain a couple of days before. Uh, walking out, it had dried and it was just crunch, 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 crunch. And it like. I'm, I'm type A, man. I'm, I'm very, very type A when it comes to whitetail. I think details get what more big bucks killed anything in the world. And it just makes me cringe every step, every step I took just, I'm talking like, this is mature oak timber and a farm road with like six inches of leaves. I was like, this isn't, I'm not doing it. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to continue to come in here. Like in the mornings, I was like, you're going to blow every deer out. And so I'm like, man, what do I do? You know? I hunted the next day. Let's see. I think I, I think I hunted the next day and saw him again. Yeah, hunted the next day. Next morning, got in there. We blew some deer out on the way in. Ended up seeing him again. And I was like, all right, same thing. Kind of skirted us. And I was like, all right, like, I'm not going to come. If we can, if we continue to, to, we probably spooked three or four different deer on the way in. I was like, if we continue to do that, like, they're going to start to move off of here. Like, he's going to become wise to it, whatever. And so I said, all right, we didn't, we didn't hunt the next day. And I said, I'm going to go in there with that leaf blower and blow that trail out. So I go in there with the leaf blower loud as could be backpack blower, just, you know, blow all the leaves off, clear it all off. Little, and, and that night we were planning on hunting that night. So I went down to the, 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 the bottom food plot across the Creek where he daylighted last time when I hung the stand, we sat in that redneck and he daylights in the food plot where I ended up oh. killing him, then crosses the Creek. And, and we see him. So we have an encounter with him again, 150 yards. He's chasing, following some does and moves off. But I see, I, I kid you not, I was less than 200 yards from his bed blowing leaves. And, you know, he just tolerated it. Didn't blow out of there. And it was a pretty aggressive move. But like, I just, like I said, you just pe put together pieces and you learn behaviors of certain deer. They're all a little bit different. They have their own old personalities. And, and, uh, I was like, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to try it. And, uh, so 
had another encounter with him, proceeded to hunt that north wind stand. Um, almost killed another deer. Uh, this is getting deep into the whole story, but <laughs> almost killed another, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, so, yeah, see, I got ahead of myself. But the, the first morning I had the encounter with him, had a six-year-old eight-pointer come in that I had that I had to pass up. I just, like, I had to wow. pass up. Floppy was with, you know, was with him in the vicinity. I thought maybe he was going to come push him off. End up almost killing a completely random deer that I had not seen since I had pictures of last year. Big 10-pointer. I decided, like, I'm not passing this deer. This is a big deer. Like, I really want to get floppy, but I'm not passing this deer. Had him at 44 yards in my lane and tried to stop him. He wouldn't stop yeah. and discontinued on. And I just said, you know what? Everything happens for a reason. I'm not too upset about yeah, that. It was like, fate at I'll that point. That slide. I got to ask you, by the way, on your on – yeah. your... I remember seeing, looking at your Instagram story with the leaf blower. That must have been the time you, that must have been the time, right? You went in there and blew yeah. that path out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yep. I blew, blew it out. And it's funny. I got a lot of questions about that because people are like, what are you doing? Like, cause you know, it's one of those deals. Like it seems dumb to go in there and like literally make a bunch of noise and blow leaves out, but it's more dumb to spook deer constantly crunching through the leaves, walking unbelievable the the morning or the in the morning before dark before light and in the evening after dark when we were walking out of that trail several times came across deer and one time literally snuck right by him no clue in the world another time got seriously like five yards from a deer and we didn't know it was there it was dark and it took off mm-hmm. you know but it bounded went about 60 yards and we continued on walking and it just kind of stayed right there did not blow did not tear out of there didn't know what we were because it couldn't it didn't really hear us um and so i think the fact that they couldn't hear the the walking just really kind of impaired that but um so anyway fast forward to last friday and we finally get a wind switch and it's not a it's not a perfect wind but i know the the past two mornings or three mornings in a row he'd been bedded up on that ridge or maybe maybe every morning for the rest of his for his whole life i don't know but um you know he's bedded up on that ridge we we're going to get a directly south wind but we we're going to have a west wind so he was going to be bedded to our uh, our southwest. So the wind was going to be, you know, in our favor, uh, but still not ideal for that food plot. Um, so we get in there early, and literally I look up at like, what was it, 2, it wasn't even 3 o'clock yet, 2.45, and here comes that six-year-old eight-pointer off that ridge right where I thought oh, Floppy was geez. bedded. And I'm like, what? I'm like, man, I can't believe those deer would be hanging together. Like maybe maybe he's not up there. I don't know. 20 minutes later, here comes Floppy right off the ridge, same spot, and drops down, walks the same exact trail as that buck straight down to the creek to our to our, uh, to our west, straight upwind of us. And early, really early, and I'm like, that's really early to be not moving on a doe, just whatever. So I don't know if they went to the creek to get a drink, what, what have you, but they both kind of just disappeared down by the creek, never saw them. Had a bunch of other deer started coming into the food plot feeding, um, and they got over to the one side of the food plot and a couple of those does got a little bit nervous. You know, they put up their nose up in the air, caught something, weren't kind of sure, went back to feeding, kind of worked their way off. It was all good. And then all of a sudden Brandon taps me on my shoulder. I look up and all the way up above the food plot is that uh, six-year-old eight-pointer. He cuts across there. And I was like, whoa, okay. So he must've done a big loop or something. We didn't see him come back that way. I was like, no, maybe there's a chance, you know. Two does come off the hill um, from where he came coming down the food plot, start feeding. And I'm, I'm looking where I last saw floppy. I'm looking, looking, looking. I see a tail flicker. And I'm like, Oh boy. And I pull my binoculars up and I'm like, I see him and it hits him and he's coming right to us. Wow. And I'm like, 
oh man, this is going to be, this is going to happen. It's going to work. And he, he comes our way, but then he continues to wrap around the ridge where he kind of go almost back to where he bedded. And I was like, please, please see those does. Please see those does. Please see those does. And I see him stop and perk up and he sees the does. He beelines right to him and they're feeding the food plot. Here they come. This, this closest does at 35. The other one's probably at 50. And he comes out and just, just grunts and just comes right to her. And she like comes out of her skin, like jumps away from us, tail up and bounds off. And he kind of stops and all of a sudden, boom, he gets hit with the wind and he just, he just picks his head up and he's like, you can kind of see him look around and he like knows something's up. And I'm like, Oh God. And he's like 40 yards, but he's behind a tree. And so I'm at full draw. A second he came out of the end of the, food plot that day was a 35 and he was beeline i drew and bumps her and he just smells and looks and he turns looks at those does starts going towards him straight away from us and i'm just like no no like not again and he stops broadside at like 50 and like literally there's a window between two big oak branches and he's perfect in the middle of it but if i shoot my i know my trajectory that arrow's gonna hit that top limb like not a chance and so I sit down on the side of the ladder stand, like leaning up against Brandon, basically. And he turns to go away and goes right towards those does. I'm like thinking again, no, it's over. And for whatever reason, he's like, I, I got to check that wind. I got to check it one more time. He turns, takes two or three more steps out wide open, stops. I held right on his heart 60 yards and just touched it off. And I just watched the arrow just fly. And I watched him drop just like I knew he would. And he drops and he actually turns away and the arrow hits him perfect right behind the shoulder, a little bit high, high lung. And just because of the angle of the entry catches the bottom of the spine and just hits him like a freight train, man. And he just dropped right there was done in like 45 seconds. And I literally about lost it. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not speechless very often. And I'd literally just was <laughs> just speechless. I mean, just overwhelmed with emotion and just, you know, you dedicate so much time and effort and energy to, to pursuit like that and for it to come together like that the way it did. It was just, it was unbelievable. Well, as you're telling the story, I see like the doctor and I were leaning in and leaning in. And we're like right into the screen. <laughs> I mean, so many twists and turns and so many disappointments. And um, man, I don't even know where we could, we could, you know, trail these out many different ways, you know, different aspects of the story and talk about them. But um, you know, it's almost that that deer, he became so confident in his ability. He, he didn't even get bothered by you in there doing, you know, things like leaf blowing and driving in with the ATV and which I always would recommend to anybody because deer don't get bothered by that type of thing. And, uh, you, you just kept trying and you put yourself in a position to where it was going to happen. And so I, I guess like the next obvious question would be, uh, you, you finally go up and, and get your hands on him. I mean, just that moment are you still speechless he is the heart still pounding even when they fall in front of you like the adrenaline's still going right yeah it was a weird it was a weird feeling because um oh my gosh i mean you can hear on the video my the mic's on my chest and you can just hear but i i so i you know i was obviously very uh very excited and amped up in the heat of the moment but that's one thing that like i i'm i've been very blessed with the ability to harness that emotion for whatever reason and a lot of it's probably just experience and and you know having been on a lot of archery hunts but like 
like in that moment, like it's, it's almost like slow motion to me. I remember like watching his every move and like judging his, his body language the whole time, like waiting, waiting for that opportunity. And just, I mean, watching the arrow and, and the second he dropped, of course, you know, I knock another arrow, you know, I, I haven't spine shot a deer. I don't even know. It's been a long, long time. And obviously, you know, the majority amount of spine shots require a follow-up shot. So I, that was my first thought was let me grab another arrow. He was dead in probably 45 seconds um, just due to the nature of the shot. It was a, you know, it was almost like I shot from below him because it kind of entered up into his cavity because he turned so much when he ducked. But um, yeah, I, I was not uh, counting, counting my eggs before they were hatched. I got down immediately, went up to him just to make sure he was done and he was. And it was just, it was kind of surreal just that moment with him uh in the field and that's one thing that i think you know that brandon who who films with me most of the time him and i have been like really good about especially the past few years just like taking in those moments because like you know it's easy to get caught in the hustle and bustle and like oh yeah we gotta take pictures and we gotta call people and we gotta do this and that and you know i just kind of like just sat there and just kind of sat down and just you know enjoyed that that moment uh because it's just they're just so <laughs> They're so few and far between, even with as much as, you know, we're blessed to be able to hunt and places that we go, it's just those moments are pretty special. So Mike, it's, it's good to hear that you still get excited about this. I, you know, and even though you said that you, you harness your emotion, which is good because I, I, I appreciate that because it helps you make good decisions in the heat of battle so that you're still taking care for that animal that we're pursuing, but just because I like to have experienced hunters that really work hard at getting a deer share information to maybe help someone else that, that might be listening. that doesn't have as much experience. So pick one or two or three things that you believe were really important that this deer taught you that's going to help you move forward or could help somebody else as a hunter in their, in their pursuit of, of deer. So just kind of take a second to think about that and they don't have to be in priority order, but just, it, was there any one, two or three things that really, really jump out at you as being, wow, okay, this, this is something that I can take forward or something that's really helpful. Yeah. I think the biggest thing was, is being aggressive at the right times. Um, you know, the way that I approach this, this past week is not the way I would approach a hunt during September or October, even, you know, um, and, and it, it ends up, it wasn't a doe that got him killed. You know, it's not like he came in on a hot doe that just led him right to us or, or anything. He was still, you know, more or less on that kind of pre-rut or post-rut in this case, really coming off, you know, kind of lockdown. And so, um, you know, being aggressive at the right times when you know you can get away with more, I think is key. Um, you know, I would never go bombing in the timber in September on a mature deer and try to get him killed. Um, you know, November when you get away with a little bit more for sure. And, you know, I guess the biggest thing is, and you guys talk about this a lot, but deer, you know, they're, they are conditioned to their environment. And so, um, knowing what you can and can't do based on that, um, can, can be the difference in being successful. I've hunted properties, um, you know, out West, uh, in, in Wyoming, for example, where, you know, they are accessing the property constantly on ATVs. Um, they're driving through their um, all year long running their feeding program. Um, they're dropping in, you know, dropping hunters, picking them up, like not the way that I would hunt in the Midwest. Um, and so, but those deer are conditioned to it. They, they, they don't associate that with being a threat. So I guess just 
understanding the environment that you're hunting, the farm that you're hunting, the property, the area, the, all the, the different variables, um, and then making decisions based on those. Good. I like it. That's good information. It's, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. It's arch, like, it's funny to think how easy it is to, to kill a deer with a bow sometimes and then how difficult they can be and how many little things can go wrong. And they're just, just on the archery side of things. If you think about equipment only, like there's just so many variables in the equipment side of things. And then you go to the hunt and there's so many variables about the hunt. And so for everything to come together and line up, it's just, it's pretty, pretty rare. Yeah. And that's, that's always in, in something that I think makes it so much fun to pursue because be, because when you do have success, all of those little things that went right, even though we might not think about them had to go right. So it just means so much more, especially for a nerd like me that, that really focuses on those little things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. I get it a lot. And, and I'm not denying that I do have luck on my side quite a bit. Um, and this, this season, is a anomaly. I mean, this is the best season of my life by far. Uh, both my boys killed their first bucks ever. Um, you know, I've had just been blessed with tons of success and just every hunt I've gone on has come together, but it's funny, like luck. Yeah. You got to have some luck on your side, obviously. Um, but I can think on every single one of my hunts this year, every single one, every buck that I've killed this year, like you make a split second decision the wrong way. And it's, game over so i mean it could have easily been the one that got away just just as easily yep yep you're right it's definitely a fine line between success or not a very very fine line and especially the level of success that you and actually everyone on the heartland bowhunter team has had i mean you guys are <laughs> yeah experts and that's why i said at the beginning it's not just about running a good show you have to have uh you have to have the the main attraction in order to have a good show. And that is good deer that you guys have been shooting. And uh, obviously you've been able to pull that off. And I also want to point out that you, and you were kind of just hinting at this a little bit there a second ago. Um, you know, you mentioned in your post, which I, this stood out to me that the support from your friends and family, and that really does matter, doesn't it? When you're on one of these quests like this, I mean, it takes, it really does sort of oh. take a village to, to make it all happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, absolutely. Um, from a mental side of things, especially, um, and, but beyond the mental side of things, like, you know, the constant encouragement and stuff is, is great, but beyond the mental side, like, you know, Sean, Skyler, myself, you know, we all have young families now. And like, this isn't us in college, like where every waking moment we just spin in the woods. Right. So, um, you know, when we're on these trips or we're, when we're pursuing these animals, like there's other sacrifices that are being made at home and, and, uh, but that definitely doesn't go unappreciated. Um, you know, we, we are very blessed to have very supportive spouses, um, ones that understand, you know, the passion behind it, that most of them hunt themselves or have been a part of it. Um, so they, they, they get it. I mean, we live that lifestyle, our family, that's, you know, our family is a part of the bow hunting lifestyle. Like I said, both my boat, my boys got their first bucks this year and, uh, top priority is now, now my wife, which is maybe the most difficult person to get a buck <laughs> because, Number one, because she's so selfless that she puts the boys first, everybody else first, of course, but also because of scheduling and the sports and boy stuff and family. And, you know, it's, it's, it's for me, it's like, all right, I'm going like, it's easy. I can go, go hunt for her. It's like, all right, we just had a discussion this morning. I said, all right, let's lay out the week. What days can you go? You tell me when you can, I'll look at the weather. We'll see what happens and try to line it up. So 
uh, it's a process, but we're hopeful, hopeful that we can put the, the icing on the cake of the best season of my life. Well, it's going to be hard to top, but I know that you'll find a way eventually. And yes, I remember you guys before there were wives and children and all this. And so it's been fun to, uh, watch that all happen. Uh, it's fun watching your kids come along and I'll certainly be watching your social media like a hawk. Uh, hopefully you get it done there for your wife as well. And uh, folks, I want to point out here before we say goodbye to Mike that you can find uh, the best place, best thing for you to do is go to heartlandbowhunter.com and right there you can see all of the different show times and all the many places that you can see Heartland Bowhunter, which, you know, nobody's a stranger to this show at this point. It is an outstanding show. It's always been one of my favorites. Uh, extremely well done and uh, obviously uh, by a great group of people. So uh, the, the final word is yours there, Mr. Hunsucker. What's, what do you do for an encore, man? I mean, what, what, what do you think you're already thinking about next year? Or do you still have more hunts planned for this year? Man, I, you know, I'm just going to kind of soak it all in. Um, I didn't draw a Kansas tag this year and was kind of bummed about it, but fate would have it that because I would didn't draw a Kansas tag, I was here in Missouri during rifle season, focused on that deer and got him, got him killed. So, you know, I'm just going to kind of, kind of enjoy the, enjoy the high right now. I shot a limited mallards on Saturday. Chiefs won last night. It's just, it's a good, it's a good, it's been a good weekend. <laughs> Life is good. Life is good. Can't, can't complain. All right, man. Well, I look forward to seeing you again in person here sometime soon. And uh, we appreciate you taking time out to tell this story. I know that our listeners will enjoy it and uh, continued success and uh, we'll catch up soon. All right. Absolutely. Thank you guys. The first thing I want to point out, Mike, is that Mike and Sean, the Heartland Bowhunter guys, are they're, they're the real deal. Um, you know, they, they do run a great business, which is you have to do to survive in this industry. Uh, but they're at the end of the day, they're just great guys. You love to hunt and they love what they do and they're genuine. And I get asked that a lot by people I, I, in this job. I have the fortune of knowing a lot of people that are kind of in the show business side of, uh, of the outdoor space. And a lot of people say, Hey, what's this person like? What's, what's that person like? And these are just two great guys, uh, for sure. We've had them both on the show now. And, uh, and I think it was great to hear, you know, Mike tell the story of floppy that deer meant so much to him and the effort that he put in. Yeah, they're producing a show, but they're hunters just like we are. And they have these relationships with deer and these encounters and get very excited about it. And so, uh, you know, I just want to make to add that to everything that was already been said here today. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's, I, I appreciate a lot of the components of, a lot of the people in the industry that are still very passionate, they still get very excited, uh, but they're out there trying to do and represent hunters in general in a very positive way. And to see Mike get excited about a deer that means so much to him just reaffirms the fact that there are some, some really good people that new hunters or even old hunters alike should be really paying attention to and trying to get information from, cause it's only going to make you better at the end of the day. And I think Mike's one of those individuals. Yeah, actually I couldn't be more excited for him and uh, appreciate him squeezing us in. I know he gets a lot of requests, so I uh, appreciate that, Mike. Thank you. All right. Without further ado, Mike, it's the time everybody waits for. It is the B team report.
Well, Mike, I'm going to have you go first this time. And I, right, hope, well, I'm gonna... I hope that you outdid me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, this was just more hilarious. So um, even though it's it's right, you know, peak rut at the time that I was going through this activity, but I started to put traps out. I just like to trap more as like a recreational thing because it's a, a skill I'd like to have. So if I ever needed it, I would actually be decent at it. And right now I'm horrible at it. But um, I was putting in a in a set uh, mostly for coyotes, and um, I was working on this bank along a, a two track uh, logging skitter trail, and it had an incline to it. And so the, the one of the key things about trapping is that when you put your foothold in the ground, it needs to be stable so that if that animal comes in and puts their feet on it, it doesn't move until they're actually caught and held. Well, I'm. If you can picture this bank, it's about a 45 degree angle. I'm at the, working at the base of it. It's it's wet, it's muddy, it's been raining for several days. And I, I have my hands down at ground level. I'm standing up with my legs straddled. I'm putting all the weight through my hands, kind of like a push-up maneuver, trying to get this trap to bed and be very solid. And I'm wearing rubber boots and there's a ton of leaves on the ground and we've had a drought here. So the surface is very, very slick. But is the deeper you go, the the dirt's still bone dry. Well, if that first few centimeters of topsoil didn't cut loose when my hands were down in that position, and I face planted my right side <laughs> of my face right into that bank, and I mean, when I say I face planted it, I mean it was like full on smack, and I came out, and I did, I was going to take a picture with my phone, but I didn't know if it was going to be appropriate, but. One entire side of my face, it was like that that villain from Batman, what was his name, like Two-Face or something like that, uh, was just mud. I mean, caked in my eye, up my nose hole, in my ear. <laughs> I mean, I, could, I mean, I, I, it was just completely, I mean, I'm never going to catch anything in that set, I swear to God, but completely just boogered. I had to go back up to the house. Luckily, I was actually at, on my own place. I could just go up and get cleaned up, but... What a mess. I mean, in the truth of that cleanup process, it took me like 10 minutes to actually, but I was pulling mud out from places I didn't even know I had like the next day on my face. So um, that was number old, one. Being an old man, you have all those wrinkles to dig stuff out of. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so if you have more than one, don't let me get in the way. I mean, this is great. Uh, well, the only other one is just the fact that that, uh, that four-year-old uh, buck that I've been trying to target, he has been just, just putting me to shame. I mean, he actually is, uh, I mean, I, but I'm excited about it because he's teaching me a lot. But the the funny thing is I put it up on my social media account just in the Instagram story, but where every time that I'm out, he shows up someplace else. But I mean, I'm making good decisions based on the wind to try not to um, alert him that I'm hunting him too, too much. But uh, the funniest one was I was leaving on the 18th, leaving the woods. You know, we have snow on the ground. I'm like, okay, bow season's over for me. And Nine minutes later, he's walking out right behind me on the exact same track, smelling my my boot prints in the snow. So, um, yeah, he actually he actually took me to school, but I give him a lot of credit. He's a very smart deer, and he's taught me a lot. I can only imagine if that deer had fingers instead of hooves, the gesture you might have received on your camera as he walked <laughs> by. <laughs> that would have that would have probably been fitting. And yes, I've been along for the ride with you on that deer. So. Uh, you're not the only one that's been made the fool of by a, a four-year-old deer, that's for sure. All right, uh, that's a little bit tough to beat. So there's the there are the mental, there are the physical mistakes, and then there are the mental mistakes. So yours was the physical, 
I'm going to go with the mental this time. Okay. I've got lots of these. So I'm in Delaware. And uh, this would have been the second week of November hunting with my buddy Ron and trying to fill any tags, right? Because I was struggling. I was trying to get some deer in the freezer. And so the one evening comes and I've been wanting to hunt this spot that uh, Ron had done some scouting or a lot of deer activity. And uh, it's, it's actually very close to where I shot my really nice buck there a couple of years ago. And I've told the joke about how Ron uh, made me walk like a mile to get to that stand when here I later found out it's only like 150 yards from the road. Well, <laughs> this time the wind was blowing in such a way and I was going to hunt it in the evening that I could just walk from the road because the deer would be coming from a completely different direction. So I'm like, ah, this is perfect. I can just walk from the road. It's, it's a short walk. And as I'm packing my gear up, I look and I notice that my field dressing kit is just sort of sitting there. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to leave it in the truck. Because what had happened was I had shot a doe the day before. And so I didn't repack my backpack with it. And I'm like, I'll just let it there. I'm only 150 yards from the truck, right? If I shoot a deer, I can just come and get it. Which, yeah, you are only 150 yards from the truck. Unless the deer happens to go a different direction when you shoot it. Yeah. So here it is. I'm up there and I'm not going to complain. I was blessed. I shot two deer in a row out there, two does in a row and filled the freezer. But I shoot this doe and she runs off out of sight and goes the opposite direction of the truck. <laughs> well, Ron comes, meets me and we, we pick up the trail and she left a really good blood trail. Uh, shout out, by the way, to Magnus Broadheads. Uh, I'm shooting the, the Black Hornets, by the way. Beautiful, wonderful blood trails. Anyway, yeah, it left me a wonderful blood trail, but the deer didn't fall within sight. And like I said, she went the opposite direction. Well, we get to the deer and locate it and quick congratulations, snap a couple pictures. Well, guess what? I don't have my field dressing gear. And so this is not the first time, by the way, that Ron has had to bail me out out there. And the nice thing about Ron <laughs> is he has everything in his pack. Like I swear, I swear to God, he has an extra bow in there if I need it. Like we could, we could break down and rebuild a bow out there if we need, I mean, he has everything in his pack. So once again, my buddy Ron had to bail me out and I used his knife and saw and everything. And he's like, do you have something to drag the deer out with? No, so not, not only, not only did he help me with his stuff and I got all of his stuff all bloodied up. Uh, he also drugged the deer out for me. So. Oh, well, that is a theme. I mean, I think, I mean, when I'm, when I'm home, I'm usually your workhorse. So Ron, I think you and I actually need to start uh, creating a deer drag service for Mr. Pinizzato here. You know, we'll have to charge him a subscription. Yeah, it is. It is. And I don't do it on purpose. Maybe I do do it on purpose. I don't even realize it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, now if you saw the drag I made the night before without stopping, you'd be impressed. I drug that thing. It pays to be in shape. I'll tell you that. But anyway, uh, yeah, so that was my B-team moment, folks. If you're going deep into the timber, uh, have your field dressing gear with you uh, and so that you can take care of it and not, oh, I'm only 150 yards from the truck until you're double that and <laughs> in the back in the swamp. So anyway, mental air for me. That's the B-team report. Send us your stories, folks, because everyone brings up to me the B-team report. And then they always say, oh, well, listen to this thing I did. And I said, well, send it in. We'll talk about it on the show. But nobody is willing to to go there like we are. So anyway, <laughs> hey, Mike, gun season has already started in New York. We're at it. And by the time folks listen to this, it'll be five days in in Pennsylvania. And so that's a big deal. Gun seasons have been opening across the country. I love seeing the photos. A lot of people having some success out there. And uh, so that's good. I'd like to see that. Uh, but before you know it, 
Mike, we're going to be talking about winter hunting, uh, and, and, and that's a season we both enjoy. Quickly, though, I want to mention uh, I shot two doe, as I already said, and I also filled my Pennsylvania buck tag on November, I guess it would have been November 15th. Yes. And so we'll get into the details about that on another show, talk about what went well and, and how things fell into my favor. But yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to have done that. And that was exciting. And you have detailed the story about the one that's been given you fits in New York while also sending me pictures of ones that are showing up on your place. Yeah. I mean, I've never done a focus on one deer type of thing. I'm always like been an opportunity type of hunter, but for some reason this deer has shown up enough to where I've shifted my focus and, um, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. I'm going to be, hopefully, uh, we're, we're going to be sharing a couple of buck stories. We'll take a whole episode and tell our buck stories. So you still have lots of time. And like I said, we do like hunting that winter season and it's coming up here very quickly. I know I hope to try to get to Delaware and still try to fill a buck tag if I can, or even some more doe tags, uh, if I can do it. So get as much of the season in as possible. Uh, speaking of which, folks, as we get close to closing the show here, if you're still trying to fill a tag or fill the freezer, uh, we want to wish you luck as well. Uh, don't sleep on that winter season as we talked about. Also, send us your photos. Send us your stories. Ask NDA anything questions. We gave away two hats today. That's a big deal. That's a first for the show. Uh, and, of course, your B-team reports. Take us up on that. We would love to share additional stories because we know they're happening out there uh, like crazy. And so we'd love to share them definitely send them our way folks we do appreciate you listening to the show we appreciate your support of the national deer association we ask that you think of us as we get toward the end of the year here and you're thinking about your giving for the year we think we're a worthy charity we're a four-star rated highest possible rating on charity navigator which means we're going to spend your money wisely and we're going to do something that is beneficial to deer and hunters so thank you for that national deer association folks where we are United for Deer.